just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Hello, friends, neighbors, and everybody else. Welcome to another episode of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. As always, I'm Kenyatta. And... 1,200 miles to the west of me is the bend to my Jerry's, Jack. Okay. Well, hello there. I, I appreciate the ice cream reference. You're welcome. You're welcome. Like a little bird whispered in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was apropos. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's no, where we went no. with that. <laughs> I guess that's better than being the Cagney to your Lacey. That's an I mean, 80s TV show <laughs> reference for those of you younger than. 45 and that was quality tv it was very forward <laughs> for its time so i'll just say that so <laughs> yeah 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 so you know hey there is a lot of craziness going on in the world right now i'm sure you've noticed that hmm. as much as i want to keep my head down i cannot i i understand <laughs> um i i can't i can't i can't i'm like i'm like the what is it? Not is it the ostrich that buries your head in the sand? Yeah. Except I'm the one. I'm the nosy one. I'll bury my head in the sand until I'm just. I hear too much and I poke my head out again. I'm sorry I did it. So yeah. I'm like shit, things got worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. Yeah. Although with some of this stuff, I think that uh, sort of based on some polling numbers, that maybe people are undecideds are starting to change their mind. Could be. Which. I mean, we might as well just segue into the WTF since we're sort of talking about it anyway. Mm-hmm. But mine is obviously the hearings and just all of the stuff coming out in the clear and concrete evidence that Donald Trump knew that the election wasn't stolen. Ivanka is not going to lie about that, right? Mm-mm. Betsy DeVos, if there was ever anybody that enjoyed kissing Donald Trump's ass more than Betsy DeVos, it would be William Barr, mm-hmm. who also resigned because of this viewpoint. If those two resigned, then you know there was no such thing as fraud going on. And the poll numbers now show, whereas before the uh, committee hearings were being televised, it was less than 50% thought Trump should be prosecuted, and now it's almost 60 So it is taking taking into effect, and I don't know if it will go over that, because that other 40% listens to Fox OAN and Newsmax, and they're not reporting on it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I got news for you. It is not a witch hunt if you did it, and it's recorded, and you have hundreds of hours of evidence of people saying and handing over documents. So it happened. That's not a witch hunt. But did you see the latest today? I did not. So you'll recall one of the Trumpiest members of Congress who was there on the ellipse giving a speech beforehand, alumnus of the show, Mo Brooks, Oh, who, of course, there was nothing to be worried about, but he wore a bulletproof vest and it was just a bunch of tourists walking around the Capitol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So he had Trump's endorsement for his race in Alabama. But one of the things Trump likes, likes to do is he only gives endorsements to people that are leading so that he can claim that he has this insane success rate of giving out endorsements. So like he'll give an endorsement to somebody who doesn't have an opponent. And then, you know, he claims, see, my endorsement got that person to win. Well, that and the fact there was no opponent also helped. <laughs> right. So he does that. And he had initially endorsed Mo Brooks. And then in the polls, Mo Brooks started losing and apparently it got like close to 10 percent or some crap like that. So with about 10 days before the election, Donald Trump pulled his endorsement of Mo Brooks and endorsed the person winning. Hmm. Well, that person ended up beating Mo Brooks. Of course, now Donald Trump can can say, you know, I endorsed the right person. But when he did that, I guess he didn't stop to think that perhaps maybe Mo Brooks had some damning information about certain events. Because guess who said he would testify to the House Select Committee on January 6th today? Somebody who had previously said that he would not testify. That would be Mo Brooks. Fancy that. Yeah. And then not only that, but he did say he would only do it on one of the live ones that he wouldn't go because he didn't want them to selectively edit what he says. Oh, of course. And he would want to know the questions beforehand. Okay, fine. I'm good with both of those things. Put it on the thing. As a matter of fact, make Mo Brooks prime time. Let's do that. Commercial free. (laughs) Yeah. And have somebody ask him. So when you said that it was a tourist group running through the Capitol that day, and keep in mind you're under oath. You knew that that was bullshit and you were flat out lying to cover your ass. But he may not like that question, so you'd have to sneak that one in. But <laughs> he's like, but, what? Wait, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, Donald maybe should have realized this guy was in on the conspiracy. Maybe I should keep my endorsement of him because pulling it and endorsing someone else might piss him off if he loses. Just saying. You should probably keep your co-conspirators happy. How do I frame this? A smart, and I put that in quotes, a smart con man would. Uh, Trump is neither smart nor a real con man, honestly. Because, well, I'll take it back. Because He's, Or is he the greatest extent, con man ever? <laughs> to an extent. Because everybody knows, even people that have done business with him before, they know what he's about. But they just understand that it's more than just him. It's yeah. about the way that he, up until a point, apparently the way he had of charming and snake oiling people and throwing money at them. So they were guaranteed that much if they if they invested with him to a certain extent. And then that stuff started falling apart. So yeah. I guess a smart con man would try to keep their co-conspirators happy because they don't want to get caught up and they don't. They don't want to get tossed in jail or whatever, whatever con or crime you're trying to pull off. It would make sense. But Trump is not a smart man. He's been failing up most of his 70 something years, basically. Yeah. Trump is the very definition of the Dunning Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. And I've decided that the Trumper, Trumpists, Trumpites, MAGA folks, I've decided that they're experiencing something I've started to call Dunning-Kruger by proxy. Yeah. 
They all also believe that Donald Trump is the smartest man in the room that is infinitely more knowledgeable than he is when, in fact, he knows nothing. Mm-hmm. And all of them are... But instead of them being the subject of the Dunning-Kruger, it's Trump. And they so it's, I need to get that to somebody who's a psychologist so we can get that in the literature. Something. I feel very strongly that that should be a, that should be a thing. Oh, and as I'm watching this, oh, fuck, I need to rewind that if it will rewind on this particular remote. Uh, They just announced or released the uh, Republicans that sought pardons from Trump after January 6th. And wouldn't you know it, Matt Gates was on that list. (gasps) No. I know. That's stunning, isn't it? What did he, what all did he want pardons for? Uh, It didn't say. It was on, and by the time i sort of looked up the the screen was off and i just saw that it was him and i think mo brooks also and then that other guy that they announced at the beginning that he asked for one too Mm. i can't think of his name but uh i'm sure that by the time this airs everybody will know who the the other folks are and it's the normal suspects of who you would suspect Mm. so that would be why they were so anti having a select committee about January 6th, because they probably didn't want to get arrested for sedition. Yep. What got me was the, the woman who had to testify about uh, being threatened by Trump supporters after being accused of feeding falsified ballots to yeah. the county machine. That, it was equal parts rage and pity for her like how dare you like the woman's mother got driven out of her own home the fbi has to call you you need to leave your house for a couple weeks all because someone made up a story and then people ran with it not only did they run they sprinted with it they did the iron man with it they ran and swam and biked with it and these women were threatened to me out of all of this stuff, and I can't say that I've sat and watched too much of the actual hearings because I'll probably figure out sometime down the road, but something about watching it happen is just, it makes me itch. But with all this stuff that they have amassed and all the people they've gotten accounts from and all the people that have come forward in person to testify about this, that that particular story, that messed me up. Like. Yeah. These people's lives were threatened behind this. I'm not just talking about, obviously, the Congress folks that were in the, the Capitol building on Jan 6, obviously. These are people that were on the, on the peripherals of this whole thing. Oh, yeah. That, that got caught up in this and their lives were threatened. Like, You're, come on. They were counting votes and all Thank because you. of a lie. And that's what makes what what Trump did even worse was yes. a, he knew that it was all bullshit mm-hmm. and he had no qualms about people getting freaking having violence put against him, murdered. Yeah. It, it did not bother that man one bit that not there were one. people that died at the January 6th riots that he caused. Not one. Mm-mm. Nope. All he's saying is like, I, I, I need equal time. Equal time to do what? Yeah, his ego is so freaking large that he thinks um, it doesn't matter if no-name people died for him, for his lie. And and he knows that people died for his lie. He was happy that 
they were threatening Pence. The man literally said, yeah. maybe they've got it right. Like for his vice president. Exactly. Like mm, this would this if it was just a couple of ordinary guys that did something like this to one another, they wouldn't speak again for the rest of their lives, probably. But this here? <laughs> no. And Mike Pence now has got his lips puckered up again to start kissing that ass. Because I don't know if you saw he was on CNN. I think it was CNN. And he's like, Joe Biden, I've never seen a president lie more than Joe Biden. Did you watch anything Donald Trump said ever? Did you actually meet Donald Trump? <laughs> that's that's the real question. You were, his, you were his vice president, but did you actually ever meet the man? What are we? What are we talking about? William Barr is saying, now we understand that, that Trump has some serious mental issues. Well, what about the rest of them? How the fuck did you not notice that the previous three and a half years? <laughs> that that statement made me bust out laughing. I was like, you just now noticed? You yeah. just now know? Okay. That's fine. You, you didn't think that when the hurricane was coming and he asked legitimately, well, would it? could we stop it if we nuked it? Or he got out the Sharpie to adjust the path of the hurricane to his liking. Yeah. Um, like, mm. The guy that wanted to drop a bunch of bombs on Mexico City so that they would. I don't even remember the reason, but. And they're like, you, you can't just drop bombs on. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it just it just now figured this out. And sort of while we're on it real quick, I can't stand. uh my pillow, Lindell. Obviously, <laughs> we've made fun of him before. Mm -hmm. But how many millions of dollars? So the question is: Does he know that Trump's feeding him bullshit and that it's all a lie, or is he just so completely awestruck and suckered into it that he doesn't know? But either way, Trump has let this man spend millions of dollars mm -hmm. for what Trump knows is bullshit. Mm -hmm. That's also kind of crappy. Now, in the people getting, you know, killed because of your actions is worse than some guy losing millions of dollars. But the whole, you know, whole thing is just what a what a horrible, horrible person. How can people hold that man up to a pedestal? Like all of all of the things, like the 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 trunk of the issue is that people tried to upset the government last january that's the root of the issue those are those are the facts yep all of this has been meant to clarify who was involved who said what who directed who to do what what was the plan in advance who was collaborating with who so on and so on and so on and there's all these tentacles now coming out from this trunk like multiple countless things all these peripheral things and all these people that have been touched willingly or otherwise and it's a mess. And I keep thinking, and I only, I thought this again last night. I keep thinking, and I know it's going to sound pessimistic, contrary to what we go for here, but I keep believing it's almost going to be all for nothing because if I don't see some indictments somewhere right. on somebody, I'm going to scream. Right. Because nobody wants to be the first person to indict a former president because it's never happened. So nobody wants to be the first. And mm. you just gave me this thought, as you said, the tendrils. Donald, the Donald Trump administration was the Cthulhu of corruption 
for presidential politics. Not Lovecraft, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which, listening friends, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was also a deeply rageful racist. Continue. <laughs> well, so is the man that had the Cthulhu of corruption in the White House. <laughs> see how that all fits? You see how that all fits together? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, and I know we need to move on to your WTF, I do not even think that any of the people that were sitting congressmen or senators as the South seceded, I don't even think any of those people were arrested and tried for sedition. No. And there is an honest chance that some of these Republican congressmen, like we've discussed in the past, why they were so against any sort of investigation is because they know that their ass can be arrested for some pretty serious shit. Yep. So that is just a, a crazy thought. And it's not a witch hunt. There is enough evidence here that... Enough evidence to indict me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like the guy working at McDonald's drive through is going to get <laughs> indicted because he gave right. one of them a sandwich in the morning. Right. <laughs> you know? And the sandwich, you know, the sandwich was bad. And so his stomach got upset and he had to run out of chambers to go to the restaurant. On and on and on and on and on. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it, it's not a witch hunt when you did it, folks. Basically. Unless Wait. you're a witch and they're hunting for witches, then it would be a witch hunt. But otherwise. <laughs> On a side note, most women that were burned at the stake for being witches were not. Yeah, they were in <sighs> fact not. So there you go. Speaking of burning at stake. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not making jokes about this at all. No, no witch hunting. However. That had the <sighs> opportunity to be a great transition. I couldn't do it. I, I I choked at the end. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> my WTF. I'm going back with one of my all-time favorite gals, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Friend and alumnus of the show, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a beautiful lady. And If you like women that look like Odo from Deep Space Nine. Stop. <laughs> sorry. This week... Apparently, she got into it at a press conference with a British reporter, where the reporter asked her about her stance on gun control, stating that in the UK, quote, we don't have guns, but we don't have mass shootings either. And that was in response to Ms. Green stating, when British press wants to argue about our God-given American gun rights, my answer is go back to your own country. Hmm. Okay. So, of course, this the snappy British journalist was like, yeah, we don't have guns, but we don't have mass shootings. Miss Green then came back with this perfectly, perfectly timed and nuanced uh, response. The UK has, quote, all kinds of murder and add, added, you have mass stabbings, lady. Quote, you can go back to your country and worry about you no guns. We like ours here. Full stop. What is a mass stabbing? Uh, I would assume a stabbing, someone stabbing over three people. Because I guess the definition of a mass shooting is more than three people shot at once. Four. So it's four? Okay, so then a mass stabbing would be four or more stabbings in a 
short period of time by the same person? That's what I'm guessing. When you talk strictly about it, going by the definition, sure. In in reality, when do you suppose that could ever happen? Because I'm sorry to say, when somebody comes and attacks a group of people with a knife, right? I'm going to go ahead and say they might get one person, maybe two, before they get taken down. Because a knife is a, a melee weapon. It's a handheld weapon. It can't, you can't get more than one person at a time with it. You, so you got to be close range. Sure. That's a very intimate type of violence, unfortunately. Um, so while this person is maybe getting one person, maybe two, I'm going to go ahead and say that the, the chances of disarming that person and taking them down is pretty good. Maybe I assume too much, but that remark about mass stabbings was silly pay, playground stuff. That's some yeah. stuff eight-year-olds say to each other on the play. Well, well, yeah, so my mama drinks, but, but, but your mama don't come home at night now. Like that kind of stuff. Your mama got a big booty. Something like your mom's butt is so big. She needs to take the bus to get, you know, from here to there or whatever. <sighs> whatever, I, whatever the corniest your mama joke is. That's what that right? sounds like. I, I do have a thought on perhaps <laughs> how you could have a mass shooting. Mm. But in the interest of not wanting to be responsible for a psychopath listening to our podcast and then actually doing that, I'm not going to say what that thought is. I don't, I don't want to give crazy people ideas. I appreciate it. I do. I do. But I'm just, I'm going to be stuck on this. No, I don't blame you. That's, I mean, a mass, uh, a mass stabbing. That's what you, that's what she came back with. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, maybe she should put the stabbing issues of the UK into a peach tree dish for study. Boom! <laughs> now, of course, one also needs to know if after the mass stabbings, do they call the gazpacho police? Is that who they call for that? You're just going to keep going, aren't you? <laughs> or do they... Or do they not call them because they can only fight off the, the stabber with the soup spoon? And then, of course, they can they can call in for aerial backup, at which point the lasers will come down. Yeah, the, the Jewish space lasers can, can kick in. Woo! But the good news is there'll be some bolts to put the gazpacho in. Oh! The jokes, uh, the jokes. We got a million of them listening, I, friends. They just keep coming. <laughs> I kill me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That one got me, though. I, I had, when I read that, I was like, wait, what? And I read it again. I was like, this is exactly what it sounded like. Your mama. What? Girl, please go somewhere with that. I, I discovered that with MTG... I often have to read things that she says more than once just to make sure that what I was reading was actually what I was reading. Yeah. Like do actual cognizant adult human beings right. say things like this? Yeah. It's not like I'm reading, say, a, an astrophysics research paper and I have to read each sentence six times to understand what's going on. Right. Sort of like I had to, when I read, um, What's the book? Oh, The Martian. 
I, it took me twice as long as, as I, as average, because I literally was going back and reading pages over again, two and three times, trying to understand how he was so successful growing potatoes. Yeah. But that's science speak. Those are, those are legitimate things. Not trying to survive on Mars, but I'm just saying. Those are actual thoughts that somebody had that they think is an intelligent thought. Ms. Green, on the other hand, is not. Yeah. She's not one of those. She's not one of those. No, no. I, uh, I'm pretty sure that MTG grew up in a house that the inside was painted with paint that contained large quantities of lead. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. And they probably had an outdoor pool that was fed from the local reservoir. And if you've seen any, any decent horror movie, you understand what threats lurk in the local reservoir. So. Yeah. Sorry yeah. For that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was exciting. <laughs> Speaking of places to live, <laughs> that is a now that is a good segue. Thank you. Thank you. I'm on my toes today. Boop, boop. <laughs> yes. Tell us about places to live. Today, listening friends, we're going to switch gears a little bit. And yes, we're going to talk about places to live. Now, when you think about the place you live, for example, you may or may not take notice of how many folks of uh, certain kinds of communities live in where you live at. And it's, it's perfectly reasonable not to, especially if you happen to be the majority of population in that, in that town or that city. You don't necessarily take notice of anybody else because kind of don't have to and it's not necessarily your fault or the fault of people that are in this situation but the kinds of places that we're going to talk about today made a concerted effort to make their towns and cities the way they wanted them to be and these towns were referred to as sundown towns and according to the new georgia encyclopedia a sundown town is an all-white community that intentionally excludes African-Americans or other minorities from residing within their boundaries by forced expulsion, violent threats, or economic coercion. Now, most of these towns emerged in the United States between the 1880s and the 1960s. In southern areas of the country, where the main industry was agriculture, white folks, understanding the need to keep blacks in the area to be able to work the fields, would just simply either in intimidate or try to control the black residents as opposed to just running them out of town altogether. Indeed, a lot of these places kept or allowed blacks to be in town, in town during daylight hours just to work and then would make it a point to make sure they were out of town after sunset. According to one source, there may have been upwards of 10,000 sundown towns well into the 1960s, and they existed in many parts of the countries, not just in the South, but especially in the Midwest and even the West, including places as far west as Glendale, California. More sundown towns were created and maintained by acts of violence, with white mobs conducting what were called, in retrospect, racial cleansings that would drive out Black residents in a single day or days or matter of weeks. One notable instance of violent expulsion is one that a lot of us know about 
and even more recently, the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, which effectively um, eliminated the Black population of Greenwood, which is a Black neighborhood in the town of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that that was one of our bonus episodes back on February 14th of this year, which was uh, initially recorded for Jack's Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. Yes. Another instance of racial cleansing or expulsions was one that we covered on our April 7th episode, which was a story of Oscarville in Forsyth County, Georgia. Hmm. Many, many others. Unfortunately, New Orleans in 1866, Vicksburg, Mississippi in 1874, Atlanta in 1906, and countless others. One notable stretch of time, however, was deemed the Red Summer, and that was the summer of 1919. And it was marked by numerous what were called race riots at the time mm-hmm. uh, across the country in different cities and locations. The incident that apparently sparked these um, these numerous riots across the country happened in Chicago when a black teenager went to a restricted part of Lake Michigan to go swimming and was stoned by white teenagers and drowned as a result. Due to the police's uh, reluctance to arrest the man that was pointed out to be the attacker, Black residents and white residents start scuffling, and this set off a week of rioting, which left 15 white residents and 23 black residents dead, 500 injured, and a thousand black Chicagoans being burned out of their homes. Now, in this part of the country, um, tensions had been high for a long time due to the increasing militancy of black World War II veterans that had been returning home from being celebrated as heroes and coming home and finding the very same conditions and attitudes that they had left. Few housing and employment opportunities. And they were getting more and more frustrated by this. In addition, they were around many white veterans who returned home to find that their jobs had been filled by Black folks that had migrated from the South and also immigrants from outside the United States. So these two communities, already resentful and frustrated over how things were going for them, unfortunately, the incident at Lake Michigan was a powder keg and set off that particular riot. That's one of the things Dr. Bob talks about in the Tulsa Race Massacre episode is how uh, veteran, black veterans of World War I were basically, I'm tired of your bullshit. Mm -hmm. They used their skills that they learned in the military to sort of during that. I don't know how to properly word it, but you know. No, you're right. And 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 they were considered, and it's like you said, the skills that they learned in the military, especially how to defend themselves, they put it to use. There in Tulsa, they put it to use there in Chicago and probably a lot of other places. And because they were trained, military trained, they were seen as more of a threat than the yep. average black citizen by law enforcement. So... Uh, yeah, right. I, I imagine that happened probably a lot more than we even know. Yeah. So if there are 100 documented cases of things like that, that probably means that there was really 400. Most likely. Most likely. And naturally, this was a time period that the Ku Klux Klan reemerged and reactivated. During that, that, would, s- that would be because of 
KKK supporter, former President Woodrow Wilson. Dun, dun, dun. During that same summer of 1919, riots would also break out in Washington, D.C., Knoxville, Tennessee, Longview, Texas, Phillips County, Arkansas, and Omaha, Nebraska. Now, these incidents at the time and for a long time afterward were described as race riots. That term tended to deflect from the true intentions of what these events were meant to do, was to basically drive Black people out of the area and to keep them out. In addition to these kinds of overtly violent events, systemic violence was also used in the way of lynchings occasionally, or what was called night riding, where violence was conducted Mm -hmm. at night and usually under the cover of night in at some point under the cover of the hoods to terrorize and unnerve black residents and to cause them to want to move. Uh, as far as economic restrictions were concerned, anti-black housing ordinances and zoning laws were used and what were called buyout campaigns that would force black residents to sell their homes oftentimes for less than what they paid. In addition, as far as rental properties were concerned, landlords would refuse to renew leases. Um, on these properties to black residents. Also in particular areas, uh, schools that serve black communities would be underfunded or not funded at all, which would serve to dissuade blacks from resettling and wanting to move into the area. So again, these weren't things that were happening just down south. They were happening across a good part of the country, oftentimes in the Midwest and Chicago and the St. Louis area. Illinois was a, an especially good state that had many towns like this. Many places there had uh, these housing ordinances. Um, They had wording, and I think we discussed this probably in a previous episode, that they had wording in the deeds of properties that stated no one who isn't white can own this property. Things of that nature. So wherever they found a way to make it unpalatable for black people to be there, they do it. But as, as time went on, the more overt attempts to keep blacks out of the town were mostly, I say mostly in quotes, outlawed. But the towns that managed to drive out all their black residents sometimes were determined to keep them, to keep them out. So as more and more Americans began to travel during the 1940s and 50s, they found out that there were obviously still particular cities and towns that they were not welcome. And as they travel across country, they found they they soon found out they had very few, slim to know, opportunities to gas up, eat, yeah. freshen up, rest, and they had to find ways to work around these kind of obstacles. They would pack extra food that would keep very well. They would find uh, friends or family along the route to stay with overnight. And one interesting thing that came, one interesting piece of history that came out of this was Black-owned gas stations would start to offer food. So if you've ever wondered why gas stations offer food and snacks and things to go, this is part of where this originated from, was the fact that because Blacks had so very few places to stop on the road, they would stop at these Black-owned gas stations. And to help them out, the gas station owners would would stop um, easy to eat and transport um, foods foods yeah yeah one of the uh black owned gas stations that you're talking about here in oklahoma then the last time all runs together 
I'm not sure the exact sometime within the last five years was listed on the National Register of Historic Places because it's one of the few uh, that are still standing. Now, it's not an operational gas station anymore, but Mm -hmm. the building and everything is still there. And the the family that owns it have always sort of maintained it and did everything even when it was empty. Mm -hmm. And it's listed on the National Register, which is really a cool a cool thing. It is. I mean, the the rest of the reasons are shitty, but I mean, that's right. a cool thing that it that it is listed. And it, I'm I'm wondering if it was an Esso because that was the gas station company that the only one at the time that would allow blacks to own a franchise. It may have so, been. Yeah, and I think Esso is now. I'm trying to think. There's somebody else now. It's probably owned by Chevron or BP. I mean, let's just be honest. Well, you're probably right. Exxon. Oh, yeah. There we go. There you go. (laughs) So, (laughs) my goodness. Uh, (laughs) So, as Black folks travel across country, um, they knew they had gotten into areas that they need to be very careful in because they would see signs posted on the side of the road letting them know this may not be friendly territory. And some examples of these very neighborly welcoming signages that, that Black uh, travelers would also find. For instance, one in Alix, Arkansas in the 1930s read inward, don't let the sun go down on you in Alix. Other signs stated whites only after dark. Uh, in Edmond, Oklahoma, in the 1940s, they promoted themselves on postcards with the slogan, I know you're going to love this, quote, a good place to live. No Negroes. The town of Mina. Ironically enough, I, I think the first half of that is still the slogan of Edmond, Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, and I feel I feel some kind of way because that's where I went to school. Anyway. <clears throat> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the town of the town of Mina, Arkansas advertised its many charms. Quote, cool summers, mild winters, no blizzards, no negroes. Is that, I, that is that not snappy? Is that not snappy? The marketing firm that came up with that, you know, clearly. I mean it's no madman, but it's pretty darn good. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. darn good. Yeah. As you're discussing this. Mm. And I know, obviously, we're looking back in history, but I still don't understand the mindset of you can be my kid's nanny during the day, cook food for us. But at seven o'clock, you're my enemy. And at 730, I'm going to be standing in front of your house, terrorizing you and your your family. But then in the morning, I expect you here at 6 a.m. to start cooking breakfast. I just I, don't, I don't understand that mindset at, at all. It just seems so foreign to me. Think about, and for all its, all its obvious flaws, the movie The Help. Yeah. Was a fine example of this. And again, that's not, it, it, it's, it's good in some respects. I'll put it that way. I'm not trying to knock anybody per se, but. They were, they did a, a good job in depicting how that worked because what those kinds of people operated in is that it wasn't violent, but it was casual and dismissive and disrespectful. 
Yeah. And just like you said, how do you think so little of me as a person that I can't use the same bathroom as you guys? But like you just said, I can come in here and cook your food and raise your children and bathe your children and dress your children and teach your children. But I can't use the same bathroom. Yeah. That, that, because of, quote, hygiene issues. I just can't. I just can't. I just can't understand that mindset. And obviously there's, you know, racist assholes today. Hello, former Congressman Steve King of Iowa. Hey. <laughs> Uh, I don't understand that mindset on how you can just be that way. What switch goes off in your head that it's 6.59 p.m., the person's okay, and then it's 7.01 p.m., you know, we got to go burn a cross on their front yard. I just I just don't understand when you, it. And I'm, I'm not trying to make sense out of, I can't make sense out of that, those kinds of mindsets back then, but the people that were prone to burn crosses and night ride and break windows, those were the same guys during the day that wouldn't even look at a black person if they happened to pass by. They wouldn't look yeah. at them. They wouldn't speak to them. They wouldn't do anything. Now, the ones that would look and speak and interact with black people usually did so in some subservient manner, as you know, yeah. the black person being subservient to them. But when night came, they weren't violent about it. They were just like, well, you know, you got to go. Come on now. You, you know, yeah. you, gotta, you can't be here. So I think as, as, as bizarre as it is to say it, it was levels to it. It really was. It was levels yeah. of disrespect to this. And that's just, that's weird coming to my mouth, but. It, it's, <laughs> it's so strange. Now, I do know that in Oregon in the 1920s, uh, there was a large KKK problem in Oregon in the 1920s. But the difference is Oregon at that time didn't have a lot of uh, black residents, but they did have a lot of Hispanic residents. Mm. And so that was really who the, the clan harassed were uh, Hispanics. Mm -hmm. And there are little literal records of the police protecting a Hispanic owned building or a black owned you know, property or building and protecting them while the Ku Klux Klan was rioting and harassing those people and the police were there to stop them. Mm -hmm. And then shift change would come and the Klan guys would take their robes off <laughs> and it turned out they were cops and they would then go and protect the houses and then the cops that were protecting the houses would go and put the robe on of the dude that just took it off and they would just switch places. Oh boy. It, it, it really, it really seemed to be a, what's the word I'm looking for? Once, once they were committed to this, they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna all of a sudden reverse position. Not when it came to doing stuff like that. And I, I think if there were any of those, if there's any of those people that disagree with what they were doing, they weren't gonna show it. They weren't gonna show it. So that's, it starts to be like a collective hive mind after a while. You're just going to do what everybody else is doing because they told you this is what's supposed to be done. Yeah. And so, <sighs> so what tended to help uh, black travelers as they came and went through these towns and cities with these sparkling examples of humanity was the creation of what was called the Negro Motorist Green Book by a man named Victor H. Green. 
he was he worked for the New Jersey postal system and he reached out via his connections in that um field and began collecting information on where these towns and cities were located and where the safest places to eat and rest were located. The book was first published in 1936 and was sold by mail through Black-owned businesses and by the Esso gas stations. And after taking a break during World War II between 1942 and 1946, the book picked back up in publishing and continued to be expanded and published until 1966. And over the course of its existence, it was used by over 2 million people. Now, my fellow white folks listening to this, when people are talking critical race theory, this is the type of information they are talking about. Exactly. They're not talking about, all oh, whitey is bad. But it is talking about how there was a good stretch of time where your fellow black Americans were so afraid of white people that a book had to be put out that was sold only in black owned businesses so that black people would know where to go and feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And think about that, that that's why learning CRT topics Whatever you know what I mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is yes. important because as a as white people, I guarantee you ninety nine percent of the white population does not know of that green book. Yeah, they probably don't. But I'm sure don't. that probably I'm not going to throw a number out there, um, but I'm sure that a a more than fifty percent of Black Americans know about the green book. I know that even though it wasn't specifically the Green Book, it was a fictionalized version of it, was introduced during the HBO miniseries out a couple of years ago called Lovecraft Country. Listening mm-hmm. friends, if you have never checked that out, please do. You were in for a treat. Um, but Sundown Towns are also a focus of one episode of that particular show. So if you, to be perfectly honest... For its flaws, and it had very few as far as I was concerned, but for its flaws, that show was a particular, particularly fine example of of bringing in all sorts of culturally specific things about the black community. And even though it takes place in 1955, some of those things right. still hold true. So if you yeah. want a little lesson about things, please watch the show and, and, and keep an open mind. But also consider the fact that a lot of what they show in the show is not over exaggeration, except of course for you know the ghosts. Cthulhu. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it is a very, very good show. But um, with these with these towns, naturally, of course, nowadays there isn't going to be a town that has these obvious signs sitting on their time limit saying. I, I, I. Right. I guarantee you there are still some mostly white towns where the black population is like, we got to get the fuck out of here. It's eight That o'clock. is correct. That is correct. It, it's, it's an unspoken type of thing. And I'll give you a fine example. Um, where I live in Virginia, five minutes from me, is a former sundown town called oh. Cosin. Mm-hmm. I go over there frequently. Not because I want to. It's just close. So, 
what I found out is as, as of 2019, the coast in Virginia's total population was 12,090. Percentage mm-hmm. of that population that was white, 91.4%. Black, 1.12%. Asian, 2.47%. Now, and again, this was one of the uh, the towns that was verified as a sundown town. Yeah, and but I, that I'll was 2019, Kenyatta. I, I, I will tell you this. <laughs> 2016 and 2020, and the handful of times that I had to go conduct some business over there, all I saw lining the front lawns of, of homes and businesses there, Trump pants, Trump pants, Trump pants, Trump, 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 Trump. That, that does not surprise me. Well, if it makes you feel any better, if it happened today, those same signs wouldn't have pence on them. <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, my God. Sorry, I, a commercial came on, and this lady looks like the lead singer from the Humpty Dance you know, the Humpty Dance is your chance to do the Humpty I know the Humpty Dance. What are you saying? <laughs> well, I know. It was for our listening friends that are under the age of oh, us. Oh. <laughs> my bad, my bad. My this bad. woman in this commercial looked like him. The only difference is that was her actual nose. Sorry. Moving on. I, I'm sorry for that, <laughs> for that, people. It just struck me with to, that. But anyway. Give you a comparison then. <laughs> The stats I just shared with you about the coast as of 2019, the town that I live in, again, which is, I'm right on the edge of it, the town that I live in. Same year, stats in 2019, total population, 135,041. Whites, 38.2%. Blacks, 49.2%. We are literally budding edges on on this uh, on Pocosin. and can you see the difference in the population yeah yeah that's... so it, it kind of tells you that ob- these towns aren't obviously overtly trying to keep black people out but there's just some unspoken something there that very well may be saying this may not be the place for you yeah and apparently it's not yeah yeah <laughs> and that's, you know, why why CRT is an important thing to learn about, not evil, evil eyes. I was about to make a new word up, evil eyes. <laughs> <laughs> not to make like not, not some to sort of war. Yes. yes. Thank you. That was the word yes. I was looking not for. Not to demonize people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like some sort of evil theory that if you're white kids listen to it when they're in the seventh grade that you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and they're going to be wearing a black robe you know saying you are racist that's not what's going to happen but what is going to happen is you're going to learn and be like holy shit did you know they there was this book that had to be uh around so that black people traveling across the country would know where they could go and feel safe or it enlisted towns that, hey, you're traveling. You don't know about this town in Missouri. But guess what? You do not want to be in it at this time. So if it's 6 o'clock and you think you can drive for another hour and a half, just stop. Yep. Yep. And often, and, and there have been reports of, of people that unfortunately they got stuck in these places after the sun went down. Some were arrested. 
on no charges at all. Some were brutalized. Some were never heard from again. Yeah. So these are these are not the jokes, people. You, you do not want your car to break down uh-uh. in a town like that during that time frame. Mm-mm. Nope. But and like I said, none of them are overt at this point. But and I'll give you another example. Um, and we mentioned I mentioned it a little bit earlier, the town of Edmond or the city of Edmond, Oklahoma, where I happen to have gone to college at. Oh, oh. Same year stats, 2019, their population was reported at 92,009. Percentage of white residents, 75.4%. Black residents, 5.29. So it tells you a little something about the kind of information and the stories that probably get handed down generation by generation by generation. Well, here's a place you may not want to go because... They had, they were known to have done this back in the day. And maybe yeah. there's no proof in the current time that they've, that anybody's done anything overtly violent or anything like that to a black person. Yeah. But just to be on the safe side. And again, just like Jack said, we're not here to demonize anybody, any current person or any current citizens in any of these cities or towns. Yeah. But there's a reason why they are the way they are. And for what it's worth, the white residents do tend to try to cover up why their demographics are the way they are because they don't want to be made to look bad. Yeah. If if you don't want your kids to learn about the horrible shit that was done to other groups of people in your country by your group of people because you don't want them to feel bad, then that tells me that you know that what happened was wrong. Correct. Because if it's going to hurt, if it's possible, if there's a possibility it's going to hurt these people, it's guaranteed that it hurts somebody else first. Right. Like the people that had to endure it. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, that that might have been slightly uncomfortable for them. Just mildly. Just mildly. But that's that's one of those things that, and I, I guess we stress this over and over again, it's one of these things that get tends to get um, buried or whitewashed no pun intended or the the terminology of what these things actually are are just kind of bent just enough so you don't get the full understanding or the real understanding of why these places were and are the way they are yeah so it's it's that old expression of uh what is it the the attention is in the details yes and the details of a lot of the reasoning and the processes and just the way things are uh, today, of course, are built upon the past, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Things change from learning lessons from good things and things change from learning lessons from bad things. Mm-hmm. And in this case, knowing the importance you know, the detail of why a certain thing is a certain way is important. And, and knowing that, I mean, is it going to be like a world? It's not like there's going to be this giant, say, revolution of people storming the Capitol. <laughs> no. Um, but acknowledging it can, I mean, is it going to change zoning laws? No. Mm-mm. But knowing why we have zoning laws is important. Knowing how that came about, because that's all, that's how zoning laws came about. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's called redlining, mm-hmm. um, but that's just zoning laws. Mm-hmm. 
And knowing how they came about is important. Now, in today's world, I think it's probably important to keep a manufacturing plant away from a residential area. <laughs> True. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? True. That, that's pretty important to not have, you know, some place that's dumping a bunch of toxic elements next to a school. Yeah. You so can, you can you can get that, but that's something that's something harmful to people regardless. Right. You so you, we do need zoning laws for, for stuff like things. that. Sure. Sure. <laughs> But the zoning laws came about for different reasons. And I guess we just happened to get lucky that they morphed into something that isn't such a evil reason for it. Um, although sometimes zoning laws can also get ridiculous. Cities let people make tiny houses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Quit having that be illegal. Because mm. you, uh, you could get a guy that could make a bunch of 300 square foot little uh, little residences and unhoused people could stay in those so much better than a tent but that's a different podcast it is and it's something i would love to see matter of fact i would be one of those people if i knew the right people to talk to i'd be one of those people that would be in on it i would love to be involved in something like that or what i've seen this mostly out in california especially like uh, along skid row um, where they have like mobile stations, mobile hygiene stations. They have right. like little showers and, and wash basins and things like that where people can go in and get cleaned up. Like it's, it's a big deal to yeah. be able to do that, to feel human again when everything else you've come to depend on for whatever reason is, is been pulled out from under you. It's a big deal to go in there and get clean. Those kinds of things need to happen more often. But yeah. again, like you were saying, people are so so fidgety and so concerned about who they live nearby. Well, I don't know. I would feel safer if so-and-so and this and that didn't happen near where I live. So on and so forth. Speaking of which, I have no idea why I thought of this guy when I was writing these, these notes up and doing my research. But I was thinking about that awful little show, Duck Dynasty. <clears throat> and if you had, and, and let me back up. If you were a fan of the show, I'm not, I'm not judging you at all for, and it should have really just been taken as just a, a cute little comedy. The reality shows really don't have any reality in them anymore anyway, but I didn't take that show seriously. I just took it for a bit of entertainment. And then it stopped being entertaining when I found out that, the, the patriarch of the family had said some real unsavory things about <laughs> everybody. <laughs> yeah. Phil has uh, said some stuff. I have some strange feelings about the duck, duck dynasty people because there's actually a chance that I'm related to them. For another episode, listen, <laughs> friends, we're going to talk about our ancestry. It's one of these days. We just have to, we just have to. Yeah, they're they're Robertsons that came from Kentucky, and I'm a Robertson that came from Kentucky. Yes. Oh. Originally, you know. <laughs> but what obviously, I obviously over a hundred years ago, but still, you never know. What I found even more interesting, and and I get kind of why the patriarch said the the, the foolish things he did. He's an old white guy. I mean. Okay, and uh, I'm not trying to generalize, but 
what he had to say was not new for his type of, of uh, someone, his, his demographics. What was kind of made me twitch was what one of his sons said about, you know, preferring where he'd like to live. And he talked all the way around it, but eventually he gave his opinion by saying, well, if I was going to live, like, say, in Salt Lake City, Utah, or Chicago, Illinois, I'd have to think about whether or not I'd feel safe going out and walking my dog at night. And, you know, I'd probably, I think I'd probably feel safer going to walk him in Salt Lake City. And, you know, you can look at it one way and just say, well, he has a point. He just wants to feel safe. But, you know, big cities are blah, blah, blah. And, you know, violence and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not what he was saying. <laughs> well, that's because you don't feel threatened by people that wear magic underwear. <laughs> Those are temple garments. Show some respect. <laughs> Sorry, my Mormon listening friends. Oh. I was just making a joke at your religion's expense. So I, I apologize oh. for that. You want to hear an interesting oh, thing, though, about Phil Robertson, the patriarch of that group? Sure. He was the starting quarterback ahead of Terry Bradshaw. He was. I read that. <laughs> I hollered. I hollered. I said, look what you did to your life. What the- <laughs> I mean, he's a multi-millionaire, so. True, but his life could have gone a completely different direction. That is true. Completely different, but yes. Like I said, I can't remember what prompted me to look up, to look him up and to see exactly what it was that he had shot his mouth off about, but I, I read that. I was like, really? So his spot went to Terry Bradshaw when he dropped out of school. Look at that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, it's just things like this, though, you know, coming back around the bend again. We stress it over and over again that knowing the true and full history of certain things, it's ever so important. And we just we just don't pay a lip service when we say that. It's important. It's tantamount to understanding how this country operates, honestly. And yeah. And one of the things, and doing my research for this, one of the things that I found is and I've included it. Hopefully we'll get that link up for you in the uh, show notes. But one of the sites I researched uh, made mention of the ways that former sundown towns can repent, so to speak. First and foremost, acknowledge that you're a sundown town. Yeah, that, that's a start. <laughs> I, but it seems simple, but that's the thing. So many of the things that people debate about, they don't get properly talked about because no one wants to do the very first and the most simple step of honestly identifying what the hell the problem is to begin with. And apologize for it. That's it. And, you know, I I get that probably most of the people that were responsible for that type of stuff are no longer with us. In mm-hmm. personally, I have, for me personally, I was not involved in that. But that doesn't mean that I don't recognize that it was wrong, Mm -hmm. recognize that it was dangerous and harmful to people, that acknowledging (laughs) those things Mm -hmm. doesn't make me a horrible person. And I I can feel bad about what my particular group of people did to another group of people. Because I'm sure that the same thing, I'm sure sundown towns probably also didn't like Latinos being there after dark. Mm-hmm. Or 
or Indians. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Or, or Jews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were equal opportunity exclusionaries. Or, or Asians. <laughs> but yep. If you don't acknowledge that, you can't just pretend it didn't happen. You know, I can't get in an argument with my next door neighbor and we stab each other. And then two weeks later, we just act like neither one of us stabbed each other. Right. <laughs> like all the while you're still leaning over, clutching your side. Hey, Bob. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, nice colostomy bag. No, I have one too. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't. And, and honestly, I guess the thing that I have discovered is that while as a country, we did make strides that I believe we have stepped backwards from, I think one of the big, the biggest problem that was done was, yes, the Civil Rights Act passed, which was great. It needed to be passed, but obviously. But I think the other part of that needed to be there was no expectation of after it passed of an acknowledgement of what was done, right? Yeah. So the what was done part has just sort of simmered under the surface. Mm -hmm. And a whole group of people are like, well, Black people could vote now. There's, we could all drink out of the same water fountain and piss in the same urinal. What's the problem? What well, is the problem? What else do they want? You know, hey, we did this. All should be forgiven. No, there's this other part that just boiled under the surface for mm -hmm. all of this time. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be an acknowledgement of that. And I'm not just talking like there are there nowadays there are some acknowledgements of it, but I need I mean it needs to be a bigger acknowledgement. And you know, the thing really that would help with that is <laughs> kids learning <about> CRT. No <laughs> you know and <laughs> I know there's a whole group of people. I just might as well have said, you know, turn them into, I don't vampires or something. That might even be more preferable than learning about CRT. But that's part I, of the problem is that is boiled under the surface and it needs to be acknowledged. <laughs> and I don't think as a country we will truly heal from shit that happened in the 1800s and the 1920s until white Americans acknowledge the harm that was done in the past. Collectively. Right, collectively. And that would, I think, be the start of healing a lot of sort of what is, I don't know, the racial divide, whatever, however you want to phrase that. I don't know. I don't care. That's on you. But I think that's where the healing of America starts, is acknowledgement. Here's, here's the fun part, though. And this keeps it to come up just as sure as you and I are having one conversation about things like this. There's other people having a different conversation saying, you know, those people over there that keep talking about race related issues, they're being divisive. Right. Always. Yeah. Always. They're they're like they're like dingleberries. <laughs> they always are trailing along behind you saying whatever, even if the person ahead of them has the best intentions in mind and is addressing things in the way that is the most comfortable for them. And here comes these little single berries right behind them. That's divisive. You're racist. Blah, 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 blah. Always. You're, you're the real racist by pointing out that we did racist stuff in the past. So you're racist. You know it's racist to call racist a racist. Yeah. I, I, I know it's time for us to wrap up here. But mm -hmm. just if the last, holy shit, we've been doing this for over six months now. I know, right? 
<laughs> wow. Time flies when you're bitching about society. Yay! <laughs> but I'm if the, here for it! <laughs> if there's anything I've learned, it's that healing as a country, in terms of this particular stuff, starts with acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. That's one. Two, quit passing Jim Crow laws 2.0. Yeah, that's also not helping mm-hmm. maybe if a little bit of the first thing happened the second part wouldn't be happening but, but that's sort of been the main takeaway i've learned over the course of us doing this podcast is acknowledgement is really key for moving forward mm-hmm. yep so yes uh, maybe this is a maybe this is a, a fair analogy if an apology, let's say you're wounded somehow, an apology would be the stitches. And then the actions that you take from there and on out are the dressings to help it heal. Right. So this is how, this is I thought of this the other night too. It's like, and I'll take myself an example with my little clumsy self. Let's say your feet get tangled up with your toes and you fall down <laughs> and you get up and you notice your ankles swollen. It hurts when you put weight on it. You can't walk very well. Right. After a day or two or so, it's not any better. So let me let me go to the doctor, you say to yourself. You go to the doctor. You sit down. The doctor examines you and says, oh, I see what the problem is. Looks like you have laryngitis. Right. What? Well, well you know, <laughs> you know, Kenyatta, the rest of the body matters. <laughs> Ankles aren't the only thing that matters. The the ankle matters movement really needs to be stopped and we need to acknowledge that the whole body matters. You're just minimizing the importance of all the other body parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's you know, how it that's how it sounds to me. You can't live without your butthole, Kenyetta. <laughs> Clear you you cannot. <laughs> you Where can't. else are the dingleberries gonna form? <laughs> God help them. That was a hell of a transition. <laughs> God help him. God bless him. But that, I, no, that's seriously how I feel about it. You have an obvious issue, and somebody wants to come along and say, "No, it's this." What? No, it's this. Let me just let me just give you. Let me just gargle with warm salt water and take these cough drops for a week. Yeah, but you see my fine. foot? No, I don't. No, I don't. What feet? No, just do what I said, and it'll be fine. Yeah. That Stay. that's. It might be, you know, a crappy analogy, but that's how I see it. God dang it, you throatist. (laughs) (laughs) You just hate throats. I I hate the whole ear, nose, and throat area. All of it. I despise it. Yeah, those goddamn ENT doctors. (laughs) Should be banned. Anyway. And with that, we love you guys, and we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) I'm Jerry. That's been Ben. We're going to go develop a few new ice cream flavors and talk to you later. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, hit that like button and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Let us hear your feedback. You can find us on our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D J-A-Y-S-T-W on Facebook, or you can email us at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. You can also find further information about our chosen charities at Service Dog Project at
www.thebloodservicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. And because we always want you to be good to yourselves and others, if you or anyone you know needs help or support, please check out the resources provided by the American Psychological Association at apa.org slash topics slash crisis dash Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a production of Hyper Focus Podcast.